0: Hey hey water coolians, welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today we are joined by a new friend of the podcast, Avik Das, to have a conversation about how virtual reality technology can be used to help those struggling with gender dysphoria and how an early 1960s theory about wolves led to the rise of every sleazy pickup artist's favorite phrase being an alpha male. Ooh, quick Quick thought before we move on about the concept of virtual reality that hopefully doesn't tear the fabric of your life apart. Scientists, well, technically nobody, can be 100% certain that we're not in a computer simulation. This doesn't mean you have to go ahead to commit some uh, GTA-esque rampages because as we discuss more in this episode, even though you're allowed to be whoever you wish to be through a virtual avatar, your actions in those virtual worlds are still somewhat a representation of yourself. If you're a dick online, you're probably a dick in the real world. Sorry to sorry to break it to you. But the concept of life as a computer simulation does give us the ability to be a truer form of ourselves. As the technology of video games and virtual realities progress and become more and more indiscernible from reality, being given a wider range of options during something like character creation allows for more acceptance across These worlds, and as Avik mentions in our conversation, you can use those platforms as a way to work on techniques in a much more safe and controlled environment before taking them out on a ride in the often messy and loud real world or real computer (laughs) simulation. Uh, But for those who are listening who are gamers, I believe it's important to be more accepting of games that allow a wider range of options during like I mentioned, character creation, because it allows games to tell new and exciting stories instead of telling those same damn stories over and over and over again through the same perspective. Take a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, for example. The storyline with the female character is a much better way of enjoying that game than the storyline with the male character. And it allows us to better humanize one another. If I can spend the length of a game's storyline walking in the body of someone who doesn't look like or sound like me, I may just come out of that game not only entertained, but, hopefully, a better person who can contribute more to society. And then in our final news story, Avik and I focus on men's mental health and how the concept of alpha and beta males has given way to a massively increase in toxic masculinity since the days of our farming forefathers. Um, one concept I do believe is important to address any time that is appropriate within the subject is the concept of allowing individuals to be vulnerable at their own pace, allowing men to be vulnerable at their own pace. It feels as if right now there's this pressure by society for men to be unequivocally vulnerable with their emotions, no matter how uncomfortable that may make them. And you know, I'm all about facing that uncomfortableness, but others may not be, and that. Needs to be respected. Allowing men to succeed in their vulnerability is about facilitating open and supportive lines of communication to encourage those men to come forward when it is acceptable for them to do so. We have the systems in place to be a supportive society. We've done it before and we can do it again. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 56 titled The Prestigious Man with Avik Das. Enjoy. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. All right, Vic, are you ready to jump into our first news story? Let's do it. This story is from the Psy Post, December 23rd, 2020. Experiencing the illusion of having an opposite sex body in virtual reality can shift aspects of gender identity. A new study published in Scientific Reports now offers insight into how the perception of one's body influences one's sense of gender identity. Three experiments involving the illusion of owning an opposite-sex body led people to embrace a more equal identification with both genders. Study authors Powell Takakowski and colleagues described gender identity as a collection of thoughts and feelings about one's own gender which may or may not correspond to the sex assigned at birth, in short, a spectrum of associations. The study's goal was to explore whether a full-body ownership illusion an experience that simulates owning a different body other than one's own, would influence an individual's gender identity. Through each experiment, 140 participants were asked to wear VR head-mounted displays, which played a video from the first-person perspective of another person's body of the opposite sex. In the first experiment, participants were asked to consume the video and expect their opposite-sex body through mirrors, through touch, through just looking at themselves. And then in the second experiment, simultaneous touches were administered to the participant's body in coordination with the video being played through the VR headset display the illusion was a success. Participants reported a much greater sense of ownership of the stranger's body and reported feeling more like the opposite gender than at baseline. Specifically, females reported feeling less feminine and males reported feeling less masculine. In the final experiment, participants were asked to rate how much they identified with a series of traits that were either stereotypically feminine or stereotypically masculine. Females tend to choose traits that are more feminine, while men tend to choose traits that are more masculine. During the illusory conditions, participants rated both masculine and feminine traits similarly high. In response to the final experiment, Takakowski and colleagues stated, The illusion of owning an opposite-sex body may have increased a cognitive conflict within the existing beliefs about oneself at the implicit level, leading subjects to adjust their self-beliefs in order to resolve the conflict. The author of the study says that the data can offer new insights into the fluidity of gender identity, showing that the relationship between one's body perception and sense of gender is dynamic, robust, and direct, and can further spark questions in regards to dealing with gender dysphoria. So, Vic, I want to ask you first because you mentioned you have some experience in the V VR uh, world extensively through the past few years. So just for baseline, how immersive has the VR experience become?
1: Yeah, VR is really, really immersive. Like surprisingly so. Uh, when I first tried it on, I experienced this one scene where it changed underneath me, and there was like a cliff in front of me, and suddenly I was shocked, like "Oh, I'm gonna fall." The other experience that always stays in my mind is. We were building a VR application and part of it involved putting people who were wearing headsets into a same virtual room, even if they were not physically in the same space. And all we did was track your head movement and put a cube in the space to represent you. So we didn't have your hands, we didn't have your body, didn't even have like facial expressions. But the very fact that your head was moving side to side or in any other direction was enough to make you feel like that person was physically there, even if they were literally across the country. Just the nature of the virtual reality headsets that we have today is enough to really make you feel like you're in different reality.
0: I've definitely, you know, had a similar experience to this experiment. I've been able to put on a headset and I'm put into this character and then you look in the mirror and your eyes are seeing this image and you're like is this me is this not me do so you kind of have that conflict between or at least vr has become so progressive and it's continually as the technology improves that i mean i've had this experience and i can relate to what this study says
1: for sure i think what's really interesting is that it doesn't even take as much technical power as you might think, like obviously, virtual reality headsets have gotten way more powerful than they were, you know, let like, say a decade ago. Uh, but there's still problems, despite those problems, it's past a threshold where being in that reality makes you question what was happening to you afterwards or before this. So like, you take off the headset. And suddenly you're like, wait, what happened to that reality I was just experiencing <laughs> moments ago?
0: And I know uh, for some, I, I, I guess I don't, I've, it's been a while since I've done it, but I know just the aspect of like some headsets give you like hand things, so you can actually see your hands. And I know having that aspect greatly increases people believing that this is a real reality.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. Um, like I said, in my experience, just having the head was enough to transport you to another uh, reality. But adding on hands can definitely uh, immerse you even further. And as the study showed, where you have that simultaneous touch and tactile feeling that will greatly enhance the experience. Um, There's another project that was, uh, I think, the project was around 2018 or so called the Walk Again Project. It was for paraplegics. They were coupled with virtual reality and an exoskeleton. Uh, So, that way, they were actually able to regain some feeling in their legs and some you were even able to walk again. If you're able to layer on different sensations, then the reality is extremely, extremely immersive.
0: Yeah, I've definitely, you know, read a few studies about like, I think like phantom limbs, and it's amazing what your mind can do and how, you know, it's kind of, if in the wrong hands, it's kind of dangerous, you know, you can trick your mind into being something that technically you're not. That's
1: definitely one of the like, downsides of any technology is that it can be used for wrong purposes. I haven't luckily seen that happen, but that might be because virtual reality is not quite as mainstream as it could be. Uh, Once it becomes really mainstream, everybody has it. I could see people using it to make you question things that you shouldn't be questioning. Maybe gender identity and things like that. Maybe you should wonder like, where did I get that identity from? Why am I feeling this way? But there's plenty of other things as like, I shouldn't question science, you know, in the same way. Like, (laughs) there are some facts that maybe you should think about not uh, doubting.
0: Well, I think you brought up a good point. And, you know, I want to ask you this and kind of get your opinion on it. You know, as, you know, VR and these virtual worlds continue to take a place up in the marketplace and it becomes more consumer friendly, do you believe these systems should be somewhat regulated to like control overdosing? Because even in my own experience, you can become sucked into video games when things aren't going well as kind of a means of escape. So I'd imagine who someone who doesn't really like themselves is able to create this perfect avatar in this virtual world. Why would they ever leave?
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to that idea that you don't need that much capability to create that escapism. It makes me think that we have video games that let you escape and get sucked into these different worlds. I agree that VR is more immersive. It could probably get you thinking about these things more readily than the technology that we've been using before. But it's a problem we have today and we should be solving that anyway. Like Probably the best option we have is not even, not just regulating these experiences, but more importantly, making it so that you are able to have fulfilling experiences outside as well so that you are not sucked into it. So, like, if you're...
0: Like like addressing these mental health issues, for example, instead of blaming video games for being an escapism point.
1: Exactly, yeah. And like I said, like, that's already the case today that people are escaping through video games VR isn't suddenly a complete paradigm shift in this aspect of it, right? People have these underlying issues. We should be addressing them no matter what.
0: Well, how do you think something like VR, the technology around that, could help people in expressing themselves fully? Having a transgender individual putting on this headset who has, you know, potentially uh, body dysphoria and being like, oh, this is what I could be. This is who I am. You know, I always go back to I don't know if you're a a fan of the Try Guys. But when one of the Try Guys, Eugene came out, you know, someone talked about how it wasn't Eugene coming out as his preferred sexuality. It was Eugene coming out as Eugene. I do think for certain individuals who are having these types of issues, something like this could be incredibly beneficial.
1: Absolutely. I think if people are able to do the things in an environment that's comfortable, to them. And that comfort is often a problem because in the real world, things are messy. But (laughs) if you can fabricate like a reality where it lets you be comfortable for those initial stages, then you can go do some exploration or say the things that you want to. And it can work in other aspects of mental health as well, where it's like phobias. Um, I've heard things about certain types of therapy where, you know, you're exposed to the things that you're you have a phobia for, but in a very safe and controlled environment. And again, these are things that could have been done before, but VR is making it much easier to have those experiences in a more kind of visceral way.
0: That's an excellent point. Yeah, you're, you're not using it to completely solve the issue, but it's a part of the solution.
1: Exactly. Especially, like I said, in those initial stages where you are more ad- averse to uh, doing some of the behavior that you want to eventually get to. You do that in that controlled environment. Later, you can do that in the messier real world.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does give you this opportunity to kind of practice, you know, practice, like you said, in this safe environment, and then take what you learn and go out into this messy, this rough real world and put those things, you know, these different techniques that you practice into fruition. It's the same same thing as therapy, but it's just using the technology that people have created.
1: Like I said, like video games are already doing this today. I'm actually it's kind of unfortunate that VR isn't quite as mainstream um, maybe because, you know, the hardware isn't quite ready and mainstream enough. I would have thought this would be something people would use more during the pandemic to do things like socialization and have those meaningful connections with other people while not being able to go out. I guess we're just not there yet in terms of the technology, but at least video games exist to help bridge that gap today.
0: I think that's an excellent look. Yeah, because I definitely, you know, really into like Red Dead Online and you form these communities and it's not necessarily, you know, we can talk a little bit about like gender unity. It's not necessarily you're a girl, I'm a guy. We're two avatars on a screen just doing things together because we enjoy doing these things. And it's not about anything else. This is time where we can connect outside of what we look like, what we sound like, you know, what religion we follow, what sexuality we are. And I think there's so many positives. But, you know, like you mentioned, you do have to be careful because eventually someone will come along and try to monetize a system for the worse. But it's so young right now that if we get good people involved, it's going to be something that's incredibly beneficial.
1: One thing I really like about the example of, you know, having avatars is that's an example of gender expression that's not necessarily tied to your identity. You know, somebody can somebody who identifies as a man might use a female avatar, and that's just what they feel like doing in that game, regardless of what they identify as. That idea of being able to do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to be, look like the way you want to be, um, is really powerful.
0: How do you think that option can be beneficial in gender unity. You know, every time a new game comes out and people are and there's a female protagonist, people go crazy because it's some people are like, Oh, I don't want to play as a female. Then other people are like, Hey, there's finally a female option.
1: The positive side of this is that you have options. And those options allow you to have experiences that were not possible before for people who would not have been able to, you know, play as a female character whether that's something that they wanted to do before or not now they get to have that experience and for some of them that might be eye-opening in general this idea of like you are born this way and that's why you have to be this way that is no longer the case in these virtual environments, whether that's video games or VR. And that's why it's really great that there's many options. Like you have those character builders, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can make your character look any way you want. Nobody's forcing you to be a particular way. Nobody's forcing you to be the way that you look like in, in the physical space. You get to have all these experiences um, and be who you are independent of expectations that have been put on you your whole life.
0: It's very humanizing. It's that concept of walking a mile in someone else's shoes, but now you're walking a mile in someone else's body.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people who have these strong biases just don't have those experiences. And that's really unfortunate. Give them those experiences. You'll be surprised at how much their eyes are opened.
0: It's not even like, you know, maybe if you don't have the capital to get into VR or video games, just even... In general, surrounding yourself with people that look different than you, sound different than you, believe in different things than you is so important because it humanizes those people. You know, they they recommend when you're kidnapped to tell the kidnapper your name and personal details because it humanizes you. It's so important. Once you humanize someone, you can relate to that person. We're both People that care about things. We're both these main characters in our own stories. It matters more. I'm not going to say hateful things about you if I've been over to dinner at your house and I've met your mother and your father and your whole family.
1: It's kind of crazy how in environments where there's hatred for another side, it's usually that the other side is caricatured, right? They're not human anymore. That's kind of core to this philosophy of hatred the way it is. And then of course you have that problem where you might meet an individual from that hated community and you still don't identify them with that community. It's like, oh you're a good person, you know, I treat you well, but I still hate this other group. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. if you can get get yourself to, you know, know more people from that community, see that they are all people, then a lot of that hatred goes away.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite stories, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he would talk to, he was a black man and he would talk to members of the KKK. And he was just like, let's just have a friendly conversation. You know, Tell me about your family. What's your favorite movie? You know, all these things. And by doing this, he was able to relate to these guys and they realized, oh, this is a black man. I'm supposed to hate this man, but he's a friend. And they start questioning this belief system that they've been entrenched in because they were humanized. That person that they hated was humanized. And hopefully, you know, through this VR technology, through just online gaming in general, I know it can get toxic online, (laughs) Uh, but it will allow people to really humanize each other because they feel comfortable being 100% themselves. They feel comfortable being, you know, when I look in the mirror, I'm comfortable at what I see. I'm comfortable, I'm like, this is Adam, man, this is Adam. I know that I'm comfortable with that. And I want everyone else to feel like that. And if we can use technology like VR, like video games, you know, like Red Dead Online, to do that, I'm all for
1: it. And I think in any sort of community, there probably needs to be some sort of moderation. The reason is like, I don't blame somebody who would not do what this person you talked about would do, right? Like, I don't expect somebody who is black to go talk to KKK members, you know, I wouldn't blame somebody for not wanting to do that for obvious reasons. So, if you can... Get a group of mixed people with different opinions to talk in a, in a cohesive way, right? With good, good faith and kick out the bad actors who are not playing by the rules, right? And I mean, rules here, like, are you respecting one another? Are you having meaningful conversations instead of just vilifying each other? That type of thing. If you can foster that kind of community, then the technologies that we have for meeting people across a wide spectrum of experiences and opinions That's when that is very positive. If you don't have the moderation, then you end up with kind of silos and people who are bad actors pushing out those who could provide diverse opinions and experiences.
0: That's perfect. Perfect. I love that. So beautiful. I want to end our conversation there because it's so beautiful. I'd like to welcome to the podcast a new friend of the program, Avik Das. Avik, welcome to Water Cooler Talk.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, We connected through your blog. You posted on your website, www.avikdas.com where you shared your thoughts on why men's health depends on feminism. So do you, do you mind just explaining, it was such a good article, do you mind explaining a bit about that concept and how it helps open up avenues for men to be emotional and find the right support groups to do so? Because one of the bigger issues, you know, I try to work a lot with men in these mental health spaces. One of the bigger issues I believe is impacting men's mental health is not necessarily men not being able to be emotional, But when men are emotional, having the right structures in place to address those feelings in a healthy manner. And so it becomes this kind of like catch-22 in the fact that we have asked men to open up, they open up, people don't know how to handle men opening up, those feelings don't feel validated. And then we're right back at square number one of men not wanting to open up again.
1: Yeah, what you said about like men opening up and then that not being handled well is something that speaks to me um, because I do think that there aren't always great avenues for men to open up. Uh, the reason I wrote my article about why men's mental health uh, needs feminism is people have this idea that's very wrong about feminism that it's you know only about women or it's about like making women better than men or something like that. But really, it's about looking at the systemic idea of the patriarchy that says that like men have certain amount of power in society, but along with that come certain expectations of behavior from both men and women. And those expectations are what are really problematic. So, the idea that, you know, men need to be completely stoic, completely composed at all times and never express their feelings is very common. If you don't realize that that expectation exists, and that expectation is wrong, then both men and women will treat when men don't meet those expectations when they do open up as something that's wrong. If we're trying to get to a point where men and women can be themselves and not have these expectations placed on them, if we can have men and women be equal in society, that's when the support structures will fall into place. Or if we have, if we say that, like, it's not being weak to have emotions, that's good for women because you could say like okay somebody who expresses themselves through their emotions that's not bad if a woman does it and at the same time it becomes not bad if a man does it so these are basically like two sides of the same coin we need to all be working together to create gender equality and we can approach it from different ways right feminism is going to appropriate uh, approach it from the aspect of women's issues. We can have uh, people approaching it from the uh, side of men's issues. But either way, what we need to do is get rid of those expectations across the board, and everybody is uplifted by that.
0: Yeah, and we'll discuss this more in that second story. But when men are kinder to themselves, they're kinder to society. As you point out in this article, you know, these paths that feminism took are paths that men can also take to feel empowered by being true to themselves. You know, feel empowered, like you said, not feeling weak sharing these emotions, but feeling empowered sharing these emotions. And then also having, I don't like the concept of safe spaces, but having good structures in place, good friend groups, even like going to therapy, not seeing as weak, being able to have these structures in place that you can feel empowered to share who you are. In my own personal experience, I've had tons of times where I'm like, I have all these emotions, but I haven't done the work yet to put the structures in place to feel comfortable sharing those emotions. And then I'll share some emotions to this person or that person and no fault of their own. They're just not prepared for it correctly. And then, like I said, I don't feel validated in those feelings. So I'm like, why should I be angry? This person obviously doesn't know how to handle this, so maybe I'm wrong. And then it's kind of this you know, self-fulfilling prophecy of I hate myself, but how do I feel about that? I hate myself, how do I feel about that? I hate myself, how do I feel about that? It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and that's, you know, I think there was this you know, good saying about we talk so negatively about ourselves and you kind of have to treat yourself like a good friend. Like, would I say what I'm saying to myself to a good friend. And if you want it, then you need to find ways to change that behavior. There is some, like you do have to put in the work. You know, you can't expect everything just to fall in the place. You do have to put in the work, but there also needs to be systems in place that are supportive of you doing that work.
1: Uh, The systems part is the part that really, really resonates here because like any complex problem, it's not enough for individuals to just change their behavior. There's all these factors that are stopping them from changing their behavior. Where it comes back to that idea of like, why feminism is so important here, man acting in a particular way that it's not, quote unquote, you know, masculine, and if it's seen as feminine, well, A, it is against the expectations for that man. If it's seen as feminine because of misogyny, then that feminine behavior is considered negative. So if we can change it so that first of all, we decouple the idea of showing emotions and things like that from masculine versus feminine in the first place. And also, if certain things are feminine, you know, like some kind of expression that you have, not seeing that as bad. Those are both things that we need to completely dismantle in order for the systems to be in place to support you where you can have some individual you can do things individually is when other people are expressing themselves in a particular way, you don't judge them for that. You let other people open up and that gives you the freedom for you to open up, right? If you're judging other people for opening up, you're going to judge yourself for opening up and you shouldn't do that.
0: The advice I'll get in eight years of talking and having conversations with people is listening is so important. Sometimes just shut up and listen. A lot of people sometimes just want to vent.
1: That is so true. (laughs) And even when somebody is looking for solutions, I don't actually think it's a dichotomy. Sometimes people want to vent and are looking for solutions but even if they're looking for solutions, you still need to listen because I see this all the time where people give advice to somebody without actually listening to the problem and now they're giving advice for the wrong thing altogether.
0: Uh, Before we move on, myself and Water Cooler Talk are in a mission to help give back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. For each new episode of the podcast, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent. On the day of the episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to the charity in honor of the guest, as well as a global platform to spread a message of love, hope, and togetherness. And we hope you listening to this episode can join in to help spread the message to your own personal audience. Avik, your charity of choice for today's episode is Planned Parenthood. Do you mind explaining a bit about what they do for those? who may be unaware and why they are a cause we're supporting.
1: Planned parenthood is all about, you know, family planning and reproductive health. It does focus a lot on women, but it's not only for women like there's STD testing and things like that for men. In general, reproductive health is something that is sorely lacking in this country just because of the healthcare system that we have. If we foster a society in which people can have control over their bodies, and the families that they have, then that's good for everybody, men and women. Uh, so I think they're doing really great work, especially for people who don't have access. So if they don't have a lot of money, they don't have a job, they don't have healthcare, care, uh, they're still able to go and get help. Uh, medically for the things that they desperately need. Uh, so that's why having heard uh, stories of people who, you know, didn't have a job and still were able to go get, you know, birth control or things like that uh, for medical reasons, that really speaks to me and I think it's something worth supporting.
0: Well, I appreciate you bringing on the show and talking about why they're worth people's time. All right. Are you ready to jump into our final news story? Talk some alpha versus beta males.
1: Absolutely. Let's do it.
0: This article is from Greater Good Magazine, Big Ideas, December 10th, 2015. And I believe this story is from Berkeley, where you went to school. That's right. Works perfect. This is titled The Myth of the Alpha male. There are a lot of false dichotomies out there, left brain versus right brain, nature versus nurture, but one really persistent myth that is literally costing human lives, i.e. UC Santa Barbara, is the distinction between alpha and beta males. As the story typically goes, there are two types of men. Alpha males are those at the top of the social status hierarchy who have gained these positions through physical prowess, intimidation, and domination, while beta males are the weak, submissive, subordinate guys who are low status and only get access to partners once women decide to settle down for the nice guy The theory, which is often based upon observations among social animals, such as chimpanzees, began from the work of David Mech, who in the early 1960s studied captive wolves and theorized that each pack had an alpha leader, and the remaining males of the pack were beta followers. His theory became popular in the 1970s, and was picked up by every sleazy pickup artist and marketing firm helping paint a very black and white picture of masculinity. But, David Mech was wrong in his study. He even released a follow-up study in 1999 to say so. Wolves don't work in an alpha versus beta society, they work as a family unit with divisions of labor. But as the expression goes, when all you have is a hammer, all you see are nails. When we oppose just two categories of male on the world, we unnecessarily mislead young men into acting in certain predefined ways that aren't actually conductive to attracting and sustaining healthy and enjoyable relationships with women or other partners or finding success in other areas of life. In one study about the relationship between dominance and attractiveness, researchers presented participants with videotaped and written scenarios depicting two men interacting with each other and varied whether the lead male acted dominant or non-dominant. Across four experiments, the researchers found that the dominant male scenarios were considered more sexually attractive. So, taken at face value, the study seemed to support the sexual attractiveness of the dominant alpha male over the non-dominant beta male. But not so fast. In follow-up studies, researchers isolated various adjectives to pinpoint which descriptors were actually considered sexually attractive. While they found dominance to be considered sexually attractive, aggressive and domineering tendencies did not increase the sexual attractiveness of either males or females. Yes, the dominant male was more sexually attractive, but he was also regarded as less likable and not desirable as a long-term partner to settle down with. As more studies continue to pinpoint attractive descriptors, researchers found that dominant males who were demanding, violent, and self-centered were not considered attractive, whereas the dominant male who was assertive and confident was considered attractive. They stated, men who dominate others because of leadership qualities, and other superior abilities, and who therefore are able and willing to provide for their families, quite possibly will be preferred to potential partners who lack those attributes. Furthermore, more studies were conducted that found that it wasn't dominance alone that was sexually attractive, but rather dominance only increased sexual attraction when the person was already high in agreeableness and altruism. Also, dominance was only attractive to females in the context of male-male competition among rivals. And not peers. The quarterback that all the girls go for is the one who dominates the other team on the football field but is likable and friendly to his teammates during the week before and after a game. In the human species, the attainment of social status and the mating benefits that come along with it can be accomplished through compassion and cooperation just as much, if not more so, as through aggression and intimidation. Many social scholars believe that at least two routes to social status arose through our history, dominance and prestige. The dominance route is paved with intimidation, threats, coercion, and is fueled by hubristic pride, while the prestigious route is paved with the emotional rush of accomplishment, confidence, success, and is fueled by authentic pride. Take the previously mentioned theory of chimpanzees being an example of alpha-beta behavior. Recent research has shown that even among primates, alpha male status can be achieved not only through size and strength, but through adept sociability and the grooming of others aka be unlikable. While it's tempting to decide that dominance is bad and prestige is good when discussing social status, that's a bit too simplistic. Context matters. A CEO of a Fortune 500 company would find himself at the very bottom of the pecking order in the general population of a prison. In the context of a tough, dangerous world, the dominant male is valued, but in the context of a peaceful, warless society, which has been most of human history, the prestigious male is more valued. Dominance is a short-term strategy for success, Prestige is a long-term strategy. Dominance is a quality that can help you conquer, but it lacks the ability to govern what you want. Once a male chimpanzee has fought his way to the top, His reign may be short-lived. There will always be another dominant male to challenge him for the throne. People like the Mongols and the Vikings dominated others, but died off. Prestigious men, like our founding fathers, created a legacy. It is neither the alpha or beta male that is most desired by women. The ideal man is one who is assertive, confident, easygoing, and sensitive without being aggressive, demanding, dominant, quiet, shy, or submissive. In other words, a prestigious man, not a dominant man. A more effective and healthier route for men having difficulty attracting women is not to attempt to cultivate the traits, of the stereotypical dominant alpha, but to cultivate the traits of the prestigious man. Develop skills that bring value to society, cultivate a sense of identity, be assertive, but remain kind in that assertiveness. The most attractive male is a blend of these characteristics. Masculinity is not black and white. The true alpha is fuller, deeper, and richer. Crazy, crazy article. Love the article. Thank you for choosing this. Before we get in, I want to get another baseline. How do you view... Masculinity,
1: Yeah, masculinity just comes down to I think it's an identity, right? Like it's who you identify as. It says that, you know, I am a man, I can have different types of ways of expressing myself, but that's who I feel like I am. It's kind of nebulous. It's hard to tease apart from what we've been told all our lives about what masculinity should be. Um. So, you could say like, okay, the definition of masculinity is what we've been told that you have to act this particular way. But honestly, if you feel like a man, that's what you identify with. That's your masculine identity.
0: Yeah, I think that nails it on nails on the head. I still haven't figured out that phrase. You know, if you feel like a man, that's what masculinity is to you. You don't have to be this blue collar coal worker who dives into coal mines and or you don't have to be this guy with giant pecs and you know abs as long as you feel like when you look in the mirror you feel like you're a man that is what masculinity is to you it's different I think you know trying to put masculinity in this one box has caused a lot of issues throughout human history
1: and I think If you go into studies like the one you just talked about, there's probably a lot of nuance there. But when it's reported in more accessible ways, then some of that nuance gets lost. What was interesting to me is that Even in the opinions that were uh, expressed by the women in the study, nothing was unanimous, right? Mm, It was all percentages, like 70% of the women in the study expressed this opinion, the rest did not. There is no one expectation that you need to live up to. And then you said also about the context, right? A CEO being dominant in one area and not in another area, right? You can be really good at something that is not considered alpha right like you have some kind of hobby that's very nerdy or something like that and that's totally okay usually the problem isn't that it's the problem is that you know if you're not a good person you're not kind you are an <laughs> asshole <laughs> yeah. that that is really the issue yeah. right mm-hmm. and that's where that prestige comes in like compassion and generosity is very important
0: and just being kind but not being kind in a way where you're kind of a pushover but just being kind in a way where you're giving back without expecting anything in return.
1: Absolutely. I actually don't like that idea of taking the characterization of animals in the wild and trying to put them on human society in the first place. We have this society that's telling us like, even if this is what you're inclined to do, maybe we live in a civilization that is about these other rules that we've created to make us prosper. But what was interesting to me, despite the fact that like, I wouldn't want to impose animal behavior, wild animal behavior on humans. A follow-up by Meech in 1999 about how the actual dominant wolves are the parents. They're the ones who are actually taking care of these pups. Honestly, that sounds like a better partner even within human society, right? Like what is somebody looking for in a partner? Somebody who will include them in their lives and help take care of them and potentially kids, you know, down the line and basically share that life with them. So, why would you be attracted to somebody who is going to push you around or not respect you.
0: There's this idea within you know masculinity that you have to be pretty much the sole provider for your family. I think that causes so much stress because people get in this survival type aspect where I need to make money, I need to make money, I need to make money. And they're willing to step on people's backs to make that money because they think they have to be the sole provider. But really, like the wolves, you know, it's this partnership, it's this family dynamic. By leaning on, you know, that other person or those other people, you have more time to be, I keep going back to it, but you have more time to be kinder to yourself. And by being kinder to yourself, you're a better person in society in general.
1: Yeah. And in fact, there's this weird feedback loop, right? So you see somebody who is acting in that dominant way right? Aggressive and not kind. And maybe they've acquired some amount of success. It may not even be because of that dominant personality, but for some other reason. But you see that and you emulate it, then in at least one area, you get rewarded for it, right? Maybe in that area, it was good to be dominant, like you're going up the ladder in a company or something like that. And then you assume that that will be the case in all of the areas in your life. And so, that's why you have certain certain men, for example, who will gravitate towards that idea that being alpha is the way to go and that's how the world is because they had that feedback loop and that's why these problems are so systemic. You have to take away the idea that being dominant is the only way to success.
0: It gives them a sense of belonging, you know, we're afraid of the unknown, we're afraid of what's in the woods, so we stay in our community, you know, the world makes sense to them in this black and white alpha versus beta. And having a tough guy alpha persona helps these individuals feel special, you know? They don't have to confront their insecurities. The same with the beta nice guys. If I can blame the world for all my issues, then I don't have to address those issues. It, it, it just doesn't, it's not a healthy mindset to have to feel like you're insecure so you have to act a certain way or blame everyone else for issues that you are afraid to address it's it's terrifying to go into the woods by yourself but sometimes you have to
1: for sure i think there's a lot of people who are acting poorly because they themselves are not confronting what will really make them happy what will set them up for success and then as you said you know before about when somebody acts out differently than their expectations, there isn't the support system for them. That's also another problem. Okay, cool. I'm going to go away from this alpha beta dichotomy. But in the world that I have lived in, if I'm not supported in doing so, that pushes me back into that dichotomy all over again.
0: That's a very good point. You know, bring back that example of, you know, the black man and the KKK, you know, he was supportive as they transitioned out of that community. You're right. If you don't have that support, if you don't have that community that can help pull you out, it's a very tough road. People are a lot more willing to go to something that's comfortable to them. People don't like to be uncomfortable. If there's even an aspect of uncomfortableness, people are just going to go back into their shell. They're not going to come out, you know, they're not going to climb that mountain that they need to climb to get to where they need to be. Because it's easy. I would rather stay in my warm cabin than climb a freaking mountain.
1: Absolutely. It doesn't help that people actually are rewarded and set up for success with this alpha beta beta dichotomy in certain areas, this idea of like business being ruthless. If for whatever reason, you're in a kind of toxic environment where being alpha is actually good, then you're really not set up for going away from that spectrum.
0: Sometimes you get rewarded in these systems. You know, you have like alpha alpha men in dating situations where, you know, you treat a person you're going after like crap and that person is drawn into that and you sleep with them and then you say, well, I had success doing that. I mean, you're not going to be able to get that long-term relationship, but at least for that night, you found success and you found that dopamine hit and you're like, well, if I keep doing this, it keeps working. If I keep being this shitty person, I keep being able to spend nights with whoever I want. And so you're in this feedback loop of, I'm finding success being a shitty person. Why do I need to change?
1: It's really easy to get discouraged. That's the real problem. I need to think more long-term. What will actually get me happiness over the long-term? Um, this is actually you brought up in a recent one with Carolyn, right? About satisfaction versus happiness. Yes. Thinking long-term. This alpha-beta dichotomy is really good at thinking about things in the short term, not in the long term.
0: In general, we kind of talked about gender roles a bit, but in your opinion, you know, like what impact has gender roles played throughout human history in the rise of this so-called dominant man, you know, and how can breaking down those gender roles create more prestigious men who, you know, lead with this assertive kindness, but still bring value to our society?
1: Alpha and Beta is very rooted in gender roles itself. Uh, When you think about somebody who is Beta, it is often associated with feminine traits. And again, those feminine traits are looked down on, which is terrible, but that's, that's what it is. If you create a system where there is like positive masculinity and negative femininity, and then you say that, like you know, men fit into one of these two roles, you're going to get a lot of that polarization, you're going to have people who are uh, striving to meet those gender roles, even if that is not the best for them. People who could even have positive examples of that gender role, right? So, you talk about like men being providers. Well, women can be providers in the same way if you let them and then everybody would be happier because then you could have different arrangements in like family units or things like that. But because you have a woman who is acting in a kind of masculine way, you prevent that. So you're preventing real progress, if you force yourself to stick with those gender roles, and then the alpha beta dichotomy kind of just arises as a natural consequence of those gender roles.
0: Yeah, that way you said about, you know, women in these beta roles that have just arrived through history, you know, we started as these nomadic Hunter gatherers. And I, I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to ask some resources, but hunter gatherer, that role wasn't really gendered. It just happened that more men tended to hunt, more women tended to gather, but it was, it, it was pretty equal. I mean, you saw women hunting, you saw men gathering. You know, because they were nomadic, they had this option of. Being able to meet so many new people, you're always interacting with new people that the the supply and the demand of a romantic relationship was perfect. There was a ton of supply, everyone pretty much got laid. And now, as you know, we started going to these like agricultural cultures, we stopped interacting with people. You know, we got in these close-knit groups. And because agriculture, the business of farming and livestock tended to be A male dominated profession, women were like, well, I can't make it on my own anymore. So I have to find a man to marry. And since the man's doing all these, you know, farming and livestock, well, I have to do these quote unquote, beta roles of, you know, housework and taking care of the children, which aren't even beta roles. It's such a stupid thing. But now in the age of the internet, you know, we have these options to once again, the supply of people that we can interact with is so high. You know, We're able to interact with the world that women don't need to do those so-called beta roles anymore. Women can make their own way in the world. They don't have to rely on the farmer. They can go out and make their way in whatever they want to do. And so now it's a situation where you know before women had to rely on men in these agricultural societies. Now I can rely on a woman. Once again, going back to that concept I've been talking about, we're in these partnerships now where I don't have to provide for my entire family. I'm not that farmer anymore that has to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, go to bed at 10 p.m., work all day just to provide for my family. I have a partner who can also make their way in the world independently and we can share in the responsibility of having a family. Or, you know, if you want to go out by yourself, you know, having family that helps you in that responsibility. But people have more time to focus on themselves, to create better versions of themselves, to do hobbies that they love. I think that's one of the positives of this pandemic is people have had more time to be among family, safely be among family, do hobbies. I mean, right now there's the Wall Street bets is going crazy on Wall Street. You know, people have had time to do these things because they've realized that I don't need to support every single person. I can depend on my partner. I can depend on my family. And by doing so, it's allowed us to create better humans and hopefully a better society.
1: Yeah, the way I see it is there's like two aspects to you know, what you just said, one is enabling more people to be in those roles that were exclusive to one gender, right? So being Mm -hmm. a provider, for example, that's great for everybody, because now everybody can be self sufficient or be independent and not have to tie themselves to other people just to get anything done. And then the other part is also elevating the status of the things that were considered inferior before. So if you're not in the provider role, right, if you're taking care of children at home, it's always been an extremely important role. It just was looked down on. Whether it's a woman who chooses to stay at home and take care of the kids or a man who chooses to do it, if we can say that that is a positive thing in society and we should encourage that, then that is also the other half of the puzzle. Or whether it's like hobbies or doing other things that are not maybe economically productive or something like that, that's okay because we're allowing people to be authentic. And I think that was one of the key words in that uh, study, right? That authentic pride, being able to be authentic and not having to go along with expectations that, that they cannot meet or don't want to meet is really liberating for so many people. I
0: mean, kind of just to wrap this all up, you know, what, what are healthy ways to address the concept of this alpha beta situation in your, in your opinion? You don't, yeah, th- you don't have to solve this issue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I th- I, like from my own experience, the way I would go about it is uh, twofold. One is Not having certain expectations of myself, loving myself even if I don't fit into what society tells me is the successful role. And then extending that love to other people just because somebody else is not in an alpha role or something like that does not mean you can't extend that love to them. So, being inclusive of people who don't meet certain expectations, including yourself is how we're going to create this change.
0: Well, you keep keep ending these stories with beautiful statements and I don't want to add anything to ruin it. (laughs) Avik, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Listeners, if you'd like to follow more of Avik, you can do so by following him on Twitter at the underscore Avik underscore DOS. Once again, that's at the underscore avic underscore das on Twitter. You can also link up with him on LinkedIn or for everything in one easy place, you can follow his website, www.avicdas.com for all new blog posts and immediate links to any of his social media. And as always, to make it easier for you, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And then as we close our conversation, I want to ask you this question posed by the Good Men Project. As we continue on the new year, as men continue to learn how to be Supportive of other men, what does caring about other men really mean? Is it calling them out on their BS, yelling at them, offering to help, trying to dig deeper into the issue, or something completely else?
1: There is going to be some aspect of all of these things. You have to be supportive while not tolerating bad behavior. And even though, like in an ideal world, we wouldn't have people who are so uh, strongly attached to one identity that they can't imagine anything else. Currently, there is this problem of people who Identify as men who are like, okay, if I don't do things this way, I'm no longer a man. Finding ways to uh, separate those two things, saying that you can do all this, you know, you can be emotional, you can open up, you can not be toxic, and you are still a man if that's how you identify. I think right now, for the people who are kind of uncomfortable with the idea of fluid gender. Uh, identity, reassuring them that they can be men while changing their behavior is going to be an important aspect.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so important to also realize too, that when you're hanging out with the boys, it doesn't have to be this deep Dark talk about all your feelings, you know, and I think it's healthy not to put so much pressure on your friends and your other male friends to handle your issues. It's okay to share a little bit, and then maybe find a supportive community to share a little bit and kind of spread the wealth a little bit. Like you said, I think you said it perfectly. It's kind of a a, a contraption of all these things, you know, calling them out on their BS, yelling at them, offering to help, trying to dig deeper. I mean, to go back to what I said, listening is 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 so important, but also it's so important to hold hold each other, hold your friends, hold regardless of their male, female, whatever they you know want to be in this world, to hold them to higher standards, but hold them to those higher standards in respectful ways.
1: Yeah. It always comes down to respecting one another.
0: All right. Well, as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Avic, where we take the strangest, most interesting real life news stories from around the world and Well, just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. We are now at the end. I will hand off the show to you, my my baby. I've built this show for three years now, and I'm going to hand off the show to you to close out however you seem fit.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to just end it with something that I think I need to say to myself, and that's what will be helpful for other people too, is there is no one right way to live life. I mean, obviously, don't be an asshole, but there is no... <laughs> like, society will put a lot of expectations on you, right? You have to have a really good job. You have to make a lot of money. You have to get married and have kids and all this. And really, like, if you're struggling to do any of those things and you're trying your best, then keep going. You can have whatever identity you want. You know, you can be a man, you can be a woman or any other gender identity and you don't have to fit into some kind of mold that society has told you. I'm saying this because like, I have to remind myself of this because it's really easy to feel discouraged. Otherwise, that's the principle I'm trying to live my life by. Well,
0: it's beautiful. You're beautiful. Your words are beautiful. I so much appreciate having you on the show today. I hope we can have many conversations to come listeners until next time. Peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. What an episode, what a guest, what a time. Thank you again to Avik for remotely joining us in the studio to talk about those bizarre news stories. As always, make sure to support Avik's charity of choice, Planned Parenthood. All it takes is $5, the price of a coffee, or sharing their mission with another person around the water cooler, wherever those pesky, pesky water coolers may be. But anyways... To the corrections! During the first conversation discussing VR and switching virtual bodies, Avik mentioned the Walk Again project to add more information about that cause. The project is through Duke University and uses brain-machine interface that incorporates a VR system to help paraplegics use their brain activity to control their own... Brace supported legs. Uh, The idea has actually been in development since the 1990s and obviously continues to help those in need as the technology continues to improve. And then the individual I mentioned who worked to befriend KKK members was named Daryl Davis. I know we've mentioned him in multiple episodes before. So hopefully the next time I mention what he's done to benefit our society. I can recall his name and not have a blank. And then in our second conversation discussing the myth of the alpha male, as for the gender roles of hunter-gatherers, hunter-gatherers did tend to be egalitarian, meaning having equal rights and opportunities, but men tended to be more often seen as the big game hunters because it was a much more dangerous occupation and women tended to be more often seen as those who who brought in and reared offspring because well, biology 101 clearly states only women are able to to give birth so hence gender specific roles did exist during the time of the hunter gatherer all right water coolians that's another corrections corner thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of water cooler talk once again thank you to avic for calling into the studio and talking about some of these strangest and most bizarre news stories the world has to offer but anyways that's your corrections that's your episode so for the first time in the 2021 season get out of here just just get out of here this is the story of a podcast that takes weird from across the world and while many of these stories may seem fake they're absolutely not because they're real